Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are reviewing Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield. Tap your inner power and create your life's work. 12 months ago, we did the uh, the cult classic uh, War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And in the War of Art, he talked about a big problem called the resistance. And the big solution to that is Turning Pro. Uh, and this book, obviously, the follow-up goes deep into that second half of the equation as to how to actually turn pro. It is a very big deal. All of us have really two different lives. We've got the life we live now, whatever that might be, and the unlived life. So the unlived life is your potential that you could really reach in your lifetime. And we've all got this potential, but we've also all got this resistance. And this resistance is the thing that is stopping you reach this potential that you could you could achieve. He said that there's a secret that real writers know that wannabe writers don't. And the secret is that it's not the writing part that's hard. The hard bit is actually sitting down to write. And what keeps us from sitting down is the resistance. And that same idea goes for most things that require some kind of willpower or emotional labor. The act itself, once you're doing it, is not that hard. The hard part is actually sitting your ass down and starting to do it. Absolutely. So if you're a writer who doesn't write or a painter who doesn't paint or an entrepreneur who doesn't start a business, you know what it is. We all know what it is. Yeah. A few quick things about the resistance. It's invisible and it's internal. It can't be seen, heard or touched, but if you've felt it before, you can definitely feel it. The resistance is internal. It may appear to be outside ourselves. We feel like we locate it in our boss, our spouse, our kids or our jobs, and we put the blame on external things, but really the resistance is an enemy that you need to compete with within yourself. The resistance is most powerful at the finish line. Uh, if you're about to complete a project and share it with the world, the resistance kicks into overdrive to try to stop you from doing it, to try to scare you from uh, sharing that with the rest of the world. So really, if you haven't figured it out already, the resistance is a real pain in the ass that is really going to be one of the biggest forces stopping you to become the best version of yourself. But the good news is the resistance can be beaten because if it couldn't be beaten, really, there'd be no Fifth Symphony, there'd be no Romeo and Juliet and there'll be no Golden Great Bridge, and there'll be no really extremely amazing works of art in the world. But obviously, they're there because there were some people in history who were able to defeat the resistance. Yeah, every single person feels the resistance, and obviously, some people have been able to beat it. He says it's, he likens it to giving birth. You know, it feels uh, impossible at the time until you realize that for, for millennia, women all around the world have been doing it. So it's possible to beat the resistance. And as he says, the way to beat the resistance, the big solution to this massive problem is turning pro. Yeah, resistance absolutely hates it when we turn pro. There was a famous novelist, Somerset Morham, who was asked if she wrote on a schedule and she answered, I write only when inspiration strikes. Thankfully, it strikes every morning at 9am sharp. This person obviously turned pro. Yes, exactly. And that's what this book is all about. And this book is in three parts. Book one is called The Amateur Life. And he says that this book, it's all about the model of change, of changing from an amateur to a professional. And both the amateur and professional deal with resistance in completely different ways. Because turning pro, it's free, but it's not easy. You don't need to take a course or buy a product. All you have to do is really change your mind. Turning pro is free, but it's not without cost. When we turn pro, we give up a life with which we've become extremely comfortable. Uh, we had this nice, comfortable living where we did what we always do. But if we want to turn pro, 
there are going to be costs that come with this. Absolutely. So turning pro is free, but it demands sacrifice. So when you do it and you turn pro, it's actually going to hurt. It's going to get messy and it's also scary. And Pressfield says that turning pro is not for everyone. He says you have to be somewhat crazy to think about doing it or even to attempt to do it. But when you do turn pro, you're going to find your power. You're going to find your own voice. You're going to find your own self-respect and you're going to become who you were always meant to become and the person you've been in been afraid to embrace and the lifestyle that you've been afraid to live out. He says, like some people remember 9-11 like a, a remarkable event that they'll never forget and like some people, the, the birth of their first child, you're actually going to remember the time and the day that you actually switched to pro. There's an idea that he calls shadow careers. So, we all have this these great aspirations, these great things that we want to do with our life. But because of the resistance, it is scary to take that leap. And instead, we might settle uh, with a shadow career rather than pursuing our true calling. And he says that this shadow career is like a, it's like a metaphor for what we really should be doing. It's very similar in terms of its shape, but the difference is that it entails no real risk. If we fail at our shadow career, the consequences are pretty meaningless to us. Yeah, I'll think back to something that's come up a few times, the, the old dream box. Like when you're young, you, you're not too scared to look look at your dreams face first and uh, have all these thoughts about what you want to do with your life. But as time goes on and you might hit university, it's really gets much more difficult to keep looking inside that dream box. You kind of close it over and once it's fully closed, you probably enter what Pressfield's talking about here, which is your shadow career, which is really a facade and uh, a cover for what you're really meant to be doing and you, you, the whole reason you're really put on this earth. Yeah, he says you might be living the drug and booze half of the musician's life without actually writing any of your music. You might be studying a PhD in Elizabethan studies because you're too afraid to write the plays and poems that you know you could have inside you. Or maybe you're working in some kind of support capacity for an innovator because you're too afraid to risk being an innovator yourself. You're probably dissatisfied with your current life, but Pressfield says that this shadow career, this metaphor, will point you in the direction of your true calling. But the really good news is that no one is actually born a pro. And there's different events and circumstances which make people turn pro. A lot of the time, it's when you get really smacked up by some of the biggest horrors of life which really put you onto the, the road of turning pro. So, you know, he's, he's like, here's to the divorces, the blackouts, the lost jobs, the lost cash, the lost self-respect. Because in the short term, these things can feel like the worst things in the world, but over the long term, it can be the things that really slap you up into place to make you turn pro toward your true calling. The only real difference between amateurs and professionals is the habits, the things that they do every single day. The human being is a, is a creature of habits. You know, we've done a whole bunch of books in the past about, about habits. Uh, we're always going to fall into some kind of habit. So, we need to consciously replace the bad habits with good ones. So, we can trade the habits of the amateur and the addict for instead the practice of the professional or the committed artist or the entrepreneur. Rather than taking on these amateur habits, let's sub those out for some real professional habits. And amateurs are really addicts, addicts by definition to the wrong things and these things are the, the addicted to the things that are really going to take you away from turning pro to what you're calling might be. And there might be distractions. So, simple little displacement activities to help you avoid uh, looking inside that dream box because you're terrified of what you might find. 
So when we're living as amateurs, we're running away from our calling, our meaning, our work, and our obligation to really become our highest version of ourselves. So he does really relate this idea of amateurism with the idea of addiction. He says that before we had these addictions, the things that we used to distract us from what we should be doing, we all had this some kind of calling, some kind of art, service, honorable sacrifice, some kind of aspiration, a vision of a, a, vision of a higher self that we might become. But then the, the resistance kicked in, the fear, the self-doubt, the self-sabotage. And once the resistance kicked in, we looked for ways to get out of doing what we were meant to be doing. And that's when these addictions came along. He says, you know, maybe it's a, a drink, a lover, a habit. The addiction replaces the aspiration. And obviously, the, there's some obvious ones, but there are also some not so obvious addictions that you might be a victim of yourself using as a distraction to stop you from doing the work of the professional. Pressfield says some amateurs are addicted to failure. So there's a difference between failing, which is really just a normal part of life, and being addicted to failure. Because when we're addicted to failure, there's a part of us that kind of enjoys it. Each time we fail, we're like secretly relieved because its payoff is incapacity. When we fail, we're kind of off the hook. We've got ourselves a get-out-of-jail-free card, and we think, oh, yeah, at least we tried. And we no longer have to ask ourselves the hard questions, who am I, why am I here, and what do I want? Another not-so-obvious addiction is the addiction to shiny objects. He says that addicts are so interesting, but so boring at the same time. They're interesting because they're always talking about the new thing they're doing. They're doing something new, something unique, something that they can't wait to bring forward, and we want to see them bring it forward as well. But at the same time, they're so boring because they never actually do the work. They just jump from new idea to new idea without actually ever getting stuck into doing the work and beating the resistance. The amateur is addicted to distraction because this resistance, it really hates two qualities above all others, and that's concentration and depth. Because when we work with such focus and we go so deep, we succeed and the resistance loses. Another addiction is addiction to money. Now, money obviously has great utility as a means of exchange. You know, if you've got a goat in Smyrna, you don't have to carry the poor beast all the way to Aleppo and then trade it in for a carpet. You sell the goat in one town, you take that silver coin to the other town to buy the carpet. It's a lot easier. Uh, but when we become addicted to money, we become hooked on the metaphor. Maybe it's keeping score. Maybe it's a way of realizing possibility or producing transcendence or opening doors. We use money as a thing that we focus on and become addicted to focusing on rather than actually doing the work itself. So when the amateur faces this resistance, it uses all of these addictions as its get-out-of-jail-free card so it doesn't have to deal with the real shit of you know, what the potential might be of this person. So the amateur is terrified. So we all deal with this resistance. It's going to pop up in everyone's life. And if you're an amateur, you're really using these addictions to not look at inside this dream box with inside this dream box revealing the things that, you know, you could really live up to because it's scary as shit to think about, you know, the potential that you might have uh, to deliver something in this world. Yeah, it definitely is. As he says, we all have aspirations for something greater, but often it kicks in that, you know, this the resistance kicks in, we turn to addictions. Now, the second part of the book he calls self-inflected wounds, and it's all about the amateur. He goes on to define the amateur and says that we're often shooting ourselves in the foot here. He says that as a basic definition, the amateur is really young and dumb in the sense of things. He's innocent, he's good-hearted, he's well-intentioned, he's brave, resourceful, inventive, but 
He's not willing to take the risks required or he's not willing to fight the fear and sit down and do the work. Yeah, fear is the primary color of the amateur's interior world. There's fear of failure, there's fear of success, there's fear of looking like an idiot, there's fear of underachieving and fear of overachieving, fear of poverty, fear of loneliness, fear of death. But the thing the amateur fears the most is exclusion, being excluded by the tribe. So the gang, the posse, the mother and the father and just having other people turn their back on you is the most scary thing of all. And this fear isn't just for the amateur. The professional is terrified too, but the difference lies in the way the professional acts in the face of fear. And we're going to be covering that a bit more later in the book. The amateur lives by the opinions of others. Because they so desperately want to be a part of the group, they let themselves be judged or evaluated by others. They let their self-worth and identity be defined by others. They crave this third-party validation and they hate the idea that they would do something that somebody else wouldn't approve of. The amateur is imprisoned by what he believes he ought to think, how he ought to act, how he ought to look, what he ought to do, and what he ought to be. And then the amateur permits all of this fear that's driving his or her life from acting. The focus on the consequences of their actions really paralyzes themselves from acting and doing anything. The amateur is easily distracted. As we mentioned, that long list of fears... A couple of fears at the very top are solitude and silence. They know that if they're too still for too long, if they're sitting at their desk for too long trying to do the work, there's going to be the voice that kicks inside their head that's going to force them into doing something greater or remind them of what they're not doing. So instead, they seek distraction. The amateur praises shallowness and shuns depth. Yeah, I think that's like a bit of a proxy for the amateur compared to the professional. If you're someone who can just sit there by yourself and just do work and you don't have to be around so many people and you don't need the approval of others for your work, maybe you're a bit closer on the professional spectrum. And then the amateur also seeks instant gratification. The amateur and the addict want what they want right now. They'll just cling and grab the things in the short term and really not let themselves solve their truest desires of the long term. Yeah, but unfortunately, it doesn't work. You know, what the things that they cling to that they think will satisfy them, eventually they wear off. Because they've gone for a quick, easy win, it's not going to really uh, make the pain going away long term. Sooner or later, the buzz wears off and that fear comes back. Another thing the amateur does is the amateur seeks permission. So they believe that before that they act, they must receive permission from some omnipotent other, some a lover or a spouse, a parent, a boss, a teacher, some kind of figure of authority. Rather than just getting out there and doing the work, they wait until someone picks them and says, go ahead and do this. And then the amateur lives for the future. They're focusing purely on the payoff of the product of what they're working on and not doing it for the work's sake. And then also the amateur lives in the past because the amateur owns nothing of the spirit in the present. She look back at an idyllic past. You know, there's nothing really enjoyable or really and just really looking back at the, the highlight reel and maybe, you know, reposting that, uh, that highlight from, from Greece from six years ago and still living in that moment. So, you know, not living in the past, not living in the future, it might seem like a really bad thing, but the real payoff to all of this is you don't have to do any of the work in the present. Yeah, exactly. That highlight reel is probably never actually happened. Uh, Pressfield says that often we edit together events from the past that almost took place or should have occurred or ideas that we had, but really the highlight reel is probably a lie. If we're looking back to that past, we've built it up to be something amazing. 
he says that in a way, if the if you're remembering what's true, then it's actually probably a little bit more sad because then it's truly gone. Another thing about the amateur, he says that the amateur will be ready tomorrow. The sign of an amateur is maybe he's got a million plans, but all of them start tomorrow. And then another big problem of the amateur is the amateur gives his power away to others, some kind of a guru or a mentor or a, a boss or some kind of leader. What they do is they dedicate all of their focus and attention on, on following this leader, this guru, this mentor. They, again, they're waiting for permission. And rather than doing their own work, they're just so caught up in watching what other people are doing. Yeah, when this resistance comes, we can tend to become amateurs and just really take any excuse that we've really outlined to just not do the work that you're meant to do. Think about how many lawyers or doctors do you know that could have been sensational SAS or historians or whatever might have been in their own dream box or producers who yearn to be directors or mums who are just itching to go out there and launch startups or graduate students who could really actually solve climate change. So I think we all got to think, what is inside our dream box and not let all these excuses really get in the way of us turning pro. So the third and final section of the book is all about that. It's all about turning pro. He says that life gets very simple when we turn pro. It's often a a decision that we make at some point in time where we finally listen to that small voice in our head that's been sort of prodding at us the whole time that reminding of us, reminding us of our true calling, our aspirations, and finally, we take a crack and our life can change in big ways. Yeah, Pressfield said he's basically divided his life up into two sections, before turning pro and after turning pro. He reckons before we turn pro, your life is dominated by the fear and resistance, and you're in that state of denial. Then after we turn pro, you stop fleeing, you stop running away from these fears, and you actually turn around and face them down. Certain things change when we turn pro. A lot of things don't change in the sense that we still have the same fear and the same resistance, but the big change is that rather than being a victim of it, rather than succumbing to it, we turn around, we face it, we challenge it head on, and we overcome it. So things change like the way we structure our day. He says that our days change so that we're no longer fleeing from fear and running towards some kind of distraction. Instead, we change our day to make it in a way that we can confront our fear and overcome them. We plan our activities in order to beat the resistance. Yeah, when you're in an amateur, it might seem like your day's bursting with with activities and all these things to do, but paradoxically, it's heartbreakingly empty. When you're pro, it might be very simple in terms of simple activities, but it's quite oppositely very fulfilling. When you turn pro, you're going to change as a person. And when you change as a person, it's going to change the way people perceive you. So all those people you were hanging around with who are still amateurs and they're fleeing from their fears and they're not facing them down, uh, they're going to tell you that you've changed and they're going to undermine your attempts at your ability to grow into the person who's turning pro and to bring in these new things into the world and for you to reach your potential. But as you move away from these people, there's going to be new people who come into your life and these are the, the ones you want to be around with because they're all so professionals and they're all facing their own fears and conquering them in their own ways. When we turn pro, our mind changes as well. He says it's like kicking a drug habit or stopping drinking. It's a decision in one point, but it's a decision that you have to recommit to every day. 
The pro understands that every morning you wake up facing the same demons, the same resistance, the same self-sabotage, the same tendency towards some kind of shadow activity, the same amateurism that we've always faced. But the difference is that you make this decision every day that you're a pro and that you won't yield to these temptations. The pro, she's mastered them, she'll overcome them, and she'll continue to master them. And finally, he says that there's a, a big but sometimes painful choice that you need to make. You need to choose between the life that you want, the life of the pro, and the life of the future, or the life that you're leaving behind. Yeah, turning turning pro, it, I think for a lot of people, might sound scary because in one sense, it's the death of a big part of your life. You know, the way things have always been done, If it's always been easy to probably you know, not look at the things that you could be doing and what your potential might be and hanging around with certain people and having certain habits and everything like that. Turning pro is going to change and flip your whole life upside down if you haven't done it already. A few qualities or a few characteristics of a professional. A professional lives in the present. So as we said that the amateur, they're too busy either having hope and living in the future or having fear of the future or they're living in the past and reliving something that may not have ever actually happened. The pro has taught himself to banish the distractions of the past and of the future. Instead, they immerse themselves in the present. They lose themselves in their work, they lose themselves in the moment, and they live in the present to actually get shit done. Remember the amateur, it waits in procrastination and everything's always going to get done tomorrow. The professional instead doesn't wait for inspiration. The professional acts in anticipation of it. Rather than waiting for the inspiration, they actually get started doing the work, expecting inspiration to come whilst you're going at it. Yeah, if you think that you are going to wait until you get the inspiration before you start working, that's the, that's the amateur approach. Instead, you've got to uh, get started first and the, uh, the inspiration will come along once you're in the middle of it. He, says, he likes to, to talk about the muse a lot here and this, this uh, mysterious goddess that comes along. He says that the muse, pretty fickle. You never know when the muse is going to strike. But often if the muse comes along and sees your butt in the chair, that's when she delivers. Yeah, absolutely. Remember that uh, first quote with the name from that lady? I think I butchered her name. Someone haven't cracked Somerset her Somerset something. Yeah. Somerset, Somerset highs. <laughs> you know, for her, inspiration does strike, but it strikes at 9 a.m. every day. So it's the habits of getting down, sitting down to do the work, and then that's when inspiration comes. It doesn't come before you do the work to, to kick you into gear. A big thing, another opposite of the amateur is that the professional does not give her power away to others. You know, Pressfield talked about, you know, previously the amateur who was worshipping someone, a, a guru, a boss, a lover, a mentor, they were giving their power away to them. Instead, the professional realized that whilst they were worshipping this person for some kind of quality that they wish they had, the professional realized they've actually possessed that quality already within themselves. They're probably just too scared to admit it or too afraid to take action on it. So he says, well, the amateur is a groupie, the professional just fucking gets down to it. Yeah, I think the amateur is, you know, someone, if you hear a friend who's bought a three or four or $5,000 course to this silver bullet that's going to solve all their problems, you can tell the difference between someone who goes down that path and I think that's what Pressfield's getting at as the amateur. Compared to the person who is, you know, spending all the weekend working on whatever their, their piece of art that they're trying to bring into the world. You know, the first person is expecting someone else to do all the work for them and giving them the silver bullet, whereas the second person just realizes that if it's meant to be, it's up to me. An interesting section here is what he calls a soldier gets two salaries. He talks about a well-known sergeant in the army. Whenever a Marine complained about their, their pay, 
he would tell them that as a as a marine you're actually getting two salaries you're getting a financial salary and you're getting a psychological salary so what's a financial salary it might be pretty meager the psychological salary is massive you know they're the things like the feeling of pride and honor the sense of belonging to a brotherhood with a brave and noble history and the feeling of knowing that you remain a member of this fraternity as long as you live so the sergeant says well when you add those two things up, how much is that psychological salary really worth? And you're getting a hell of a lot more than just the financial salary. Yeah, I think that's an extremely important point because anyone who's an amateur now looking to turn pro, it's always, as a rule, going to be a bit of a pay cut, I think. It's going to be downwards in terms of your financial salary. But if you pay attention to the psychological salary as well, there's going to be a huge payoff in that regard. So, you know, if you add them up together, turning pro might be cost-benefit positive. Yeah, he says that as professionals, as artists, as entrepreneurs, obviously you get multiple salaries as well. You get the conventional rewards, which is what everyone focuses on. That's the money, the applause, the attention. And that's probably something that you're thinking that uh, you wish you could always get more of. But often you're neglecting the psychological rewards. And, you know, the thing of like doing the work as a reward of its own sake, you know, practicing the piano, not for doing a performance where you get paid a lot of money because everyone buys tickets and comes and gives you a clap at the end. It's practicing the piano for the enjoyment and the rewards that you get out of practicing the piano. Now, as we're making our arc toward the end of the book, he talks about the professional mindset as a practice. So, the key element of a pro is that you sustain some kind of practice because every single day you're going to wake up and the resistance is going to be sitting at the end of your bed and you're going to be facing these fears and the demons. So you need to develop this practice to really have the routine to overcome this, uh, these, these major force that all of us have to deal with. Yeah, so so far we've identified the amateur. We've talked about all the qualities of the amateur and how the amateur often turns to distraction and addiction. We've also identified the professional and what, a, what does a professional look like and what do they do. And this is like the, the nitty-gritty of the how-to, and that's the practice. So when, you, when you're turning pro, it's all about having this regular practice that you do as some kind of dedicated daily exercise of commitment. So one uh, vital element of a practice is that a practice has to have a specific space and a specific time. You know, So either a, a physical location, a temporal location, a state of mind, this is where the practice takes place. So it's like the monks in their saffron robes, every morning at the same time, they step up onto the mountain, take those steps up, and when the abbot strikes a chime, that's when they start putting their palms together in their meditation practice. We need to take those same ideas into having some regularity and some consistency into the work that we do. The second part of your practice is you need to have some kind of intention. So it's not enough to just be routinely doing something completely aimless you need to have some a goal and intention about what you're actually trying to do. So, you know, Gladwell's book in Outliers talks about the 10,000-hour rule, but the 10,000 hours weren't just aimless. They were filled of deliberate practice. So your uh, intention as an artist an or an entrepreneur is to get better, go deeper, and to work closer and closer to the bone. Another thing about practice is that we need to come to practice as a warrior. He said it's like the sword master stepping onto the fighting floor, knowing he's about, to, he's about to face some powerful opponents. But it's not those physical adversaries in the fight, not the other people. The true enemy is inside ourselves. It's the things that we tell ourselves. It's the voice inside of our head. It's the resistance, which is self-inflicted. That's the real enemies that we're coming up against. It is a seriously powerful opponent, so we need to be fucking ready for it, and we need to take this practice as warriors. 
So your practice has these elements, has a, has a space and time that you go into every day. It's got an intention and you're going into this practice like a warrior, going to war with the resistance to slap it back up and put it back into its place. And once you've got all these things together, unfortunately, this practice, it's lifelong. It's not just a short-term thing where you just go back to being an amateur. It's a lifelong commitment to turning pro. So everyone now, if you haven't done so already, if you're still an amateur and you haven't turned pro, I think we all got to remember that this is really the key between you where you are now and the unlived life of what your potential might be. If you think about it, you've only got one life, you've only got one shot at it. Do you want to be someone who lives up to their full potential or not? If you want to live it up, you've got to turn pro.